Isaiah, the mini Bible, this is part five. We're in Isaiah 41, verses eight through 10. And it says this, but you, Israel, are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and have called from its furthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and you have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, in the 40th, 40th chapter or the 40th book of Isaiah, it makes a complete turnaround in the whole book of Isaiah. You have to understand the first 39 chapters of Isaiah correlates with the 39 Old Testament books. For the most part, those 39 chapters, like the 39 books, deal with the messages of condemnation and judgment to the southern kingdom of Israel, known as Judah. The reason was their unwillingness to turn to God from their sin, the rebellion to God, along with their unwillingness to trust in God and not in their flesh, and from their disobedience to him in their idolatry. 100 years after these prophecies, we are reading here in Isaiah 41, the southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem were defeated and taken captive by the Babylonian Empire and its king, Nebuchadnezzar. They were taken into Babylon for 70 years, all as a consequence of their sin. So from chapters 40 through 66, which is equivalent to the 27 books of the New Testament, Isaiah is not writing to his contemporaries specifically. That, that is the population that lived in Judah at the time that he lived there. Yet these chapters are written basically to the Jews who would return from Babylon to the land of Israel about 170 years or so in the future. And these messages of these of this chapters and all these chapters are one of great comfort and encouragement to them in their repentant state then. So this new dawn goes all the way back to when God called this man named Abram, who was also renamed Abraham, for this man to leave his home in a city called Ur of the Chaldeans. It's a region of the world that we know as today as Iraq. But God told him to leave his land of Ur and proceed to the land of Canaan, which is Israel today. So he left with the promise in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, and it goes like this. He said, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. So God promises Abraham that he would make him a great nation. And God promises to bless the whole world through his descendants, that is through the Jews. And God has blessed the world by virtue of the Jews all through the ages. So Abraham made it to Canaan and ultimately giving birth to Isaac, who gave birth to Jacob. And then some 250 years after God made this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 that we just read, there during Jacob's life, the family was only a total of 70 people. This great nation to be in 250 years was just a mere 70 People. They were no nation. They were just a big family gathering for Thanksgiving dinner, basically. Nothing like a nation that God promised. Well, at the time of Jacob, a great famine came upon the entire region of that part of the world. It would last for seven straight years and engulf the whole Middle East and Egypt. This famine threatened to wipe out Jacob and his whole clan of 70. But just at the right moment, Jacob was invited by Pharaoh to Egypt with all of his family. 
And of course, it was through Joseph that he and all the family could live in Egypt through the famine. They didn't just stay through the famine, but they stayed for the next 400 years. And in those 400 years, they multiplied like rabbits and from 70 people to a couple million people. God kept his promise as they were a nation now in the safety of Egypt. But then they came, then came the great exodus, the great exit of them out of Egypt. So they moved from the bondage of Egypt into Canaan. It was a land exactly described to them from God as a land flowing with milk and honey. Not only did they enter into a new land, but they entered into a life more abundant, into a land with large and beautiful cities they did not have to build, houses full of good things they did not have to fill. They had wells that they did not have to dig and vineyards and olive trees they did not have to plant. The bellies of them and their children were constantly full with the abundance of what the land was producing. They were safe within that land from all their enemies from all around. And and on and on it goes about their greatness to Israel they've done. But the point is this. The proof, this is the proof of God's goodness to them. God has been nothing but good to the nation of Israel. And their response to God's goodness as recorded in the book of Isaiah in these first 39 chapters and during Isaiah's time, the nation was almost completely backslidden. They weren't listening to the prophets that God sent their way, the word of God, but they verbally abused them and physically abused them when all they did wrong was tell them they need to return to God. So Judah was not responding, not listening, ignoring and persecuting the prophets. Then God allowed the king of Nebuchadnezzar, or the king of Babylon, which is Nebuchadnezzar, to come and conquer Jerusalem and Judah. Not just once, but three times. The first two times, Nebuchadnezzar set up puppet kings to collect from the nation and sent him the proceeds. But in those two conquering, Judah did not respond to King Nebuchadnezzar's rules at all, which were rules you have to do because you have been defeated and you've been conquered. And when he came the third time, he was mad, and that was it. And he destroyed the city and destroyed their wealth, their homes, and their jobs. You don't want to play ball with me? Fine. You have nothing, nothing, along with bloodshed. That even those who survived and lived were drug off in chains like animals to be slaves, and they would be treated like slaves in the new land of Babylon. Here's a group of people who have a wonderful godly heritage, a Christian childhood, so to speak, a godly upbringing in a godly home, so to speak. They had a living personal history with God. They desperately wanted those things back again. Now repentant, now sorry for their earlier decisions of sin. Yet one great, one great thing dominated their minds. They had one great fear that dominated their hearts. They longed for what they had thrown away for many years. And what filled their hearts and their minds was the question, would God take them back? Would God have anything to do with them again? Would God give them a second chance? Was there any hope of them once again enjoying the spiritual life with God? And here in our passage in Isaiah 41, in verse 9, the very last part, that he says that I will not cast you away. That is the best news a backslider could ever hear. But also verses 8 and 9, twice God says, you are my servant. That means I will use you, but you still have more scripture to write, and we still have the coming Messiah. God still had plans and purposes for them. And for the repentant Christians, there is still a will of God to be experienced. Because notice twice again, the Lord lets them know that you are my chosen in verses 8 and 9. 
And the reason Judah came back to God is because they were chosen of God. They had a desire to return to him. And why does any Christian return to God after falling away from him? After they've turned from him, if they've run from him, after they've backslidden from him. And once again, they came back because they are chosen. They came back because they are truly saved. They have truly been born again by the incorruptible seed, as Peter tells us. A person chosen of God may spend weeks, months, years in the pigsty, but they will not stay there indefinitely. They cannot stay there indefinitely. They're spoiled. They're ruined by God. They're ruined by the spiritual birth forever. They will never be satisfied to spend the rest of their life in such a place. They come back. We come back. I personally came back. Why? Because he has chosen us. We have received that incorruptible seed of his spirit when we were born again. And such a person has this ongoing thing to return to God. They don't come back to be born again. They come back repenting and recommitting their life back to him. You were not saved on the basis of your faithfulness, but on the basis of his grace. And a person doesn't return to God on the basis of his own goodness, but still it's on the basis of his grace. And then in verse 9, it says, You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest regions. In other words, when you were far from me, I have kept my eye on you. When you were scattered about into the world because of sin and backslidden, I had kept my eye on you. God has been looking out for Israel and protecting them as they were far from him. He was the one who kept them alive for that day. They would repent and long for those things that they had lost. Also in verse 10, he says, fear not, for I am with you. In other words, I have not abandoned you. And you do not, do not be dismayed, for I am your God, he says. See, no matter what has happened, no matter what you have done, it doesn't matter what others might think of you because of where you have been and what you have done. Maybe you have a, you developed a really bad reputation. You've been, you haven't been a good person. Even your name is a swear word or cuss word with your family or at school or your business. Even in all of that, you have brought upon yourself by virtue of being backslidden. It doesn't matter. For I will identify myself with you as your God. It doesn't matter how far you have fallen off the cliff. When no one else will have you, I will come alongside of you and I will be happy to be known as your God. For I have chosen you. You've been born again by that incorruptible seed. And also, once again, it says in verse 10, he says, fear not. God is saying that because the greatest fear for a backslider is that God will not take them back. Fear not. Don't ever have that fear for it's not true. He will not only take you back, but he will bless you again. And the incredible thing is this, that Jesus was even more assuring in this regard in the New Testament more than the passages here in Isaiah 41. For we know in the parable of the prodigal son, where that youngest son of two came to his father and basically says, I don't want to be under your headship any longer. I don't want to live here. I'm smarter than you. For life is more than just, you know, what you've shown me so far. There's a lot more. There's a big, beautiful world waiting for me out there for me to experience. So I demand my inheritance. And the father graciously gave him his inheritance. And if you know the story, the son spent many years in sin, wasted away the inheritance. He's broke. He finds himself in a position of being a pig feeder. And you can't backslide any lower than that for a Jewish boy. Caring and feeding pigs. Now he finds himself longing to eat what the pigs were eating. I mean, he's pretty much as low as a person can go. Then in his mind, he longed to return home. But he feared that his father might not want him back. 
what would be my father's reaction if I return? So he begins to work on this speech that he plans on saying to his father when he arrives. And he goes something like this. Dad, I know I do not deserve to be called your son. That's okay. I understand. But would you see fit that I could be one of your slaves? I just want to be back. This is the best place for me. Would you allow me back as a slave? So he's working on this speech as he is making his way home. Then as the son gets within eye range of the father, to his shock to see the father running towards him, as if the father was looking for him. The father had his eye out for him. But imagine the, the mental gymnastics his son was going through. I mean, he's running at me to tell me what? To don't take another step further to get off of my property? I mean, the son thinking I wouldn't even have a chance to even get my speech out. This would be just no doubt a nightmare for, uh, for this to happen. His greatest fear of total rejection. And here's the father at a full sprint running towards him. Which actually is the only time we ever see in the scriptures when God ran. To it knows he ran to receive his son who was lost, but now he was found. He's returned. And when the father got to his son, instead of telling him to get off his property, he fell on his neck, and he just could not stop kissing him on the neck. And in the same way, you know I need to return to God. For the fear will he take me back. I don't care if my relationship or my spiritual life with him is more at a distance than it was at first. I expect that. That's fine. I just want to know that will he take me back? And, of course, the answer is yes. And when the son started kind of giving his dad his speech about, you know, being a slave and all that, the father would have nothing to do with that. You're my son. I restore you to that status and to a closeness as a father and son would have. And the father called for a robe, and he called for a ring, his signet ring, and sandals to be put on his feet. Only a slave is barefooted. He was completely restored. He was not a second-class Christian, a B-team Christian. He was back on the A-team. Any person can do that in the privacy of their own heart. They can always return to God. They can always recommit to God. They can repent. Because a person, if they're already born again, that's, you can't be born again again. You just need to return, repent, and re commit that's what he wants to do and there's one great verse in the bible it's known as the holy soap of god it's first john 1 9 where it says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and wash us from all unrighteousness